0: is the Powerful Nonsense Podcast. Learn everything you need to know to make a living outside the nine-to-five grind and crush it at life. You'll learn from inspirational guests and in-depth discussions. Go from employee to entrepreneur and start creating a life you love and still pay the bills. So here are your hosts, Wayne Ingram and Jem Yildiz. Let's get on with the show. This podcast is sponsored by the University of Northampton, the first UK university to be awarded the Ashoka U Changemaker Campus status in recognition for their commitment to social entrepreneurship. We're back. We are. With not just powerful nonsense goodness, but Sully Breaks goodness. Round two. Round two. (laughs) Um, Yeah, if you haven't listened to part one of our Sully Breaks interview... I'd highly recommend going back and listening to that first. So hit pause, go to the podcast app or iTunes or wherever you're listening to it. Find it episode one, part one, and then come back. You have our permission. In the meantime, for those newcomers who have never listened to us before, because there are loads of you out there, introductions are in order. So I am Wayne Ingram.
1: And I am Jemmy Odis.
0: And we are the Powerful Nonsense podcast crew. So if you don't know who Sully Breaks is... He is a spoken word artist, YouTube sensation, and now Powerful Nonsense guest. <laughs> well, <hey. laughs> Woohoo! Also, we'd like to say thank you to everyone who's entered our Sooty Breaks Book Bundle competition so far. Whoop, 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 whoop. Yes, and the more you share, the more entrances you get as well. Exactly. So, if you have entered, share it with people, because you're going to be more likely to win. How cool is that? So, if you haven't entered yet, head on over to PowerfulNonsense.com forward slash book. Check out all the books um and enter
1: in this episode as well sully will kind of break down the reasons why these books have changed his life i know he's done a couple of youtube series where he's shared books that he's enjoyed so again he kind of goes in a bit deeper of why these books mean so much to him
0: Mm -hmm. so check that out at the end of the interview but in the meantime let's give you much more sully breaks goodness golden nugget knowledge bomb stuff and throw it your way with part two of the Sully Breaks interview.
1: Obviously, um, starting out, like it's quite interesting that you actually mentioned about the whole YouTube SEO and stuff like that, and your friend was talking about that. Because obviously, you're at Night Town at this point, and um, was you kind of looking for, because everyone would initially say that the videos that probably most people know about you, obviously, you're quite controversial. Obviously, when you look deeper, you can see what you're trying to say, but on the top level, they're controversial. Was that kind of like planned into it so that you knew? it would go viral and were you kind of like doing your research and thinking okay i know there's young people on this platform if i start saying that school shit which everyone can relate to but also put a message out there was it was it that tactical
2: it wasn't as deliberate as that and that's one thing that i've tried to get back to this year. i think it the, from the creative standpoint it wasn't as deliberate as that from a positioning standpoint as to like how like because I, I made lots of videos. I used to make lots of videos about different things that people could relate to, but always from a point where I could I could kind of find the subject. So when I, I kid you not, like when I did why I hate school but love education, it wasn't. It was based off another video um, by a guy called um, Jefferson Bethke. Who did a video called why I hate religion but love Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So from a standpoint, I didn't even think people around the world would resonate on on the school subject. I just thought like. What are two concepts that I struggle with, and from a creative standpoint that I really enjoy? So I knew that he'd had success by doing his using his his that that kind of creative stance. But it wasn't like I really didn't think school was going to be the turning point to make everything big. And at the time, like having a million views was like something that I wanted to do, but it was kind of like unfathomable. So when I was writing, I was more writing for my peer groups and people who I, who I could relate to, you know. As the years went, maybe like in the last two years, I was writing a bit more broad, which I didn't like as much. But I felt like I was writing more for my immediate peers. And that's what we could all relate to. Everybody in Nighttown at that time had graduated, and everybody's working Nighttown. And I was like, what am I going to write that when I come into the store tomorrow, everyone's going to be like, oh, that was sick? You know, or I-, I relate to that. So I didn't know that. So the positioning was very deliberate in terms of like the titling. And where and where it was gonna sit on YouTube, how the video was gonna look. But that's a, but the one that took off was actually the second time I did the video because the first time I did it, it was very different in the nature. Like I had a different um, visual style to it. Mm. Um, so th- so when when I did that, it was kind of like from a creative standpoint, it was just like what's dope, like what people relate to, what's gonna make people in work be like, oh, this is cool, you know, this is fucked up. Let's all relate, you know. But the but the positioning and the angle in which I, I put it on YouTube was definitely very very conscious and deliberate.
1: Mm-hmm. and obviously you got in a little bit of trouble at night time didn't you
2: yeah and that's when I was at my most controversial stage that's that's when it was like <laughs> the highest
1: controversy
2: <laughs> yeah chasing the virality you know when you're like you have nothing to lose so I was like yo like imagine if I made a video about like this trainer that we had and I still have the video and I'm gonna I'm, I'm waiting I'm waiting to re-upload it at some point it's, it's on it's on my channel I just put it on private because we this is the only
1: video the... that you've taken off your channel then
2: it's, it's still on the channel. It's on private. I feel, I'm pretty sure it's still on there. It's on private. Oh, okay. But it's when we were going through the disciplinary stuff, like when I was getting fired, I had to take it down because I was really trying to get my job back. I didn't want to lose my job. So I had to um, put it on private
1: could you, you just tell? Could you just call, go into that story? Because obviously I know it because I went to your show, but could you just break that down with like what actually happened?
2: Ah, uh, So basically, um, <laughs> I was releasing videos every two weeks and it was like, I, I had an audience, you know. I had an immediate audience because everyone at Nike Town was young, and everyone's kind of like come from the same place, you know. we all oh, like, everyone's so like, cre- and everyone's creative. So I was doing these poems about relationships, doing poems about like religion and and like money and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> and then it was like we was in the a store one day, and Nike, everyone's like, oh, check out this trainer. So Nike's released this trainer, and the trainer is a Converse, but it's dirty. So you buy the trainer dirty, so you so you don't so you don't have to scuff them up and make them dirty. You buy them dirty, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, I've it
0: seen It Doesn't them, make
2: yeah. any. Yeah, so I was like, what the hell? Like this is ridiculous, and it was a big talking point at, at at the store. Everyone was like, this is stupid. Everyone was talking about it. So I was like, oh shit, this is a subject. It's about so to blow I, up. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, this could have blow up worldwide. Like this is crazy. Nike is a big company. I can attack them. You know, get some views. You know, get some traction. So I went online and was like look at this ridiculous trainer nike's made blah 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 etc etc et i still kind of thought it through since most of my audience is at the store and people at the store were going to see it but but ironically it wasn't until six months about four months later that i got pulled up on it
1: so um <laughs> so you got yeah, so cre- you I- got credit I- with your peers first and then after
2: <laughs> yeah exactly and, you know, everyone was like, "Oh my God, how can you do that?" That's you know, I was like, you know, it felt like being in school. Everyone was like, "Oh man, that's crazy. You're gonna get fired." And I was like, "Nah, they, I won't get fired." they the
1: sick He's so crazy.
2: <laughs> yeah, you know, I had that rep. You know, I was like, yeah, and it and it was like, it was always more important for me. Um, even so, now to do something that is genuine and that people really care about, rather than do something that is like. It's popular so that so that's what it was i wanted to do something that it was like this is what we we're talking about this is true i don't care what nike are going to say to me like they've i don't care what company they're, i'm going to say this and i'm going to put it out there so yeah that happened and then you know about three months later i get called into the office and they pull out the the computer and they're like oh we have seen this video and i was like oh shit
1: like, no i haven't, <laughs> and haven't I, seen anything no.
2: <laughs> I, legally i mean i studied law and legally i i had more of a stance but it's just that when you're a sales assistant in a company like that, they'll be like, "You're fired." If you if you want if you want to take it to court, fair enough. But legally, we argued for about three hours. Like I did my research, I brought up the legal stuff, and they couldn't say anything. At the end, they just had to say, "Oh, you're fired." Mm-hmm. You know. And the lawyer wouldn't take my case as well because I guess like, it wouldn't make sense. to Anyone? He was like, "You work for the company. Why would you do that?" Mm-hmm. And I was like, I, "I just, I just, yeah."
1: I want
0: views, but legally.
2: I- Legally, I had a very good stance because I'm, I mean, I, I operate as an independent entity online. It's a different mm-hmm. spectrum, you know.
0: Yeah, you weren't you weren't behaving as a representative of Nike online. Yeah,
2: <laughs> I wasn't. I didn't have my uniform on. You know, there's cases where you people have had their uniform on, so which makes their which makes their their case weak because it means that you were actually acting in the capacity of an employee. But mm-hmm. I wasn't. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, that means I'd be liable for everything I said on stage, like yeah. you know.
1: It's, it's quite interesting. Oh, sorry. Oh. It's quite interesting because I know myself as well. When I was going through this phase where I started like reading all these books, like Rich Dad Poor Dad, Four Hour Work Week, um, you kind of get into this mentality initially. I think you kind of work through it, but first of all, it's kind of like this "fuck the world" attitude. Like you've been lying to me for so long. <laughs> and it's it's, it's kind of funny because I don't know if you've listened to um, skepta has got this video where he's just sitting on a couch, Underdog Psychosis yeah and um he kind of mentions i, ain't seen it,
2: I, ain't seen it, nah, I know what you're talking about but i ain't seen
1: it now nah. yeah watch it's like a 10 minute talk where Skeps just sits down he kind of breaks down the, his mentality is same sort of thing and he says that like you get stuck in this sort of initially anyway this kind of fuck the world attitude which i think a lot of people go through when you kind of figure out that things are a bit different i think that's probably what you what probably happened when you put your video out suddenly people see a different perspective and then there's a lot of anger that wait a minute why did anybody yeah. tell me this
2: because you feel like a mug. You feel like I spent my whole life doing something like this when I didn't have to, you know. And, and then you feel like, like you feel betrayed because you feel like you wasted so much time, you know. And I guess that's what it was. I was like, no one can tell me nothing, you know. And this is it. We're going for it, you know. And I guess, and I, and I, and I always said to myself, like, even if I got fired, I want to, like I said, I want to put 100% into what I'm doing. If I thought this was a good subject or it something relevant, I don't care what implications it was going to have outside of Of the realm of what I'm doing, it had to be done.
1: And then, obviously, you get fired. And what happens next?
2: Yo, it was just like a movie, man. It was so much like a movie. Like, why I hate school but love education. The video we shot, we had to shoot that twice, you know. And then, I mean, I got sent home, and I and I'm like, oh, like to be honest, I should have made a video. I I was actually gonna record a video. I, I think I did record the video. And I may have it. Yeah, I did record a video as to why I got fired and etc. So that was gonna be my next upload. But when you get fired, the reality is you are a bit disheartened because you, you ain't got no income in it. Like regardless of how tough you want to be, I was like, I was a bit kind of annoyed. So that was the video. That was the only
0: <laughs> Yeah, the point where you want to go, stick your job. I don't need your job. But then deep down you're going, I'd really do need this this job. Exactly.
2: And that's what it was, isn't it? Like deep down it was like, I was sitting there like, hmm. So it was kind of like, but it was just so mad because then so they, they they before they fire you, they put you on suspension. So when I went on suspense, suspension, I was like, I have this video, and I was like, oh, so let me upload it in it because I like, look, I mean, I didn't have content. I, I don't, I don't think I was writing anything creative outside of the video where I was gonna say why I got fired. So I, I decided to upload that video, and I had it sitting around for for a while. So literally, when I uploaded it, it just started to pick up. It was just so crazy. It just like it just started to take off. I mean, it's... It's weird because when I wrote Why I Hate School But Love Education, like I said, that's not the first time I'd released it. I had a previous video, which was like cutaways and like little um, scenes that were de- depicting what I was saying. And when I made that video, I made it in a- January on that year, the day before my birthday. I was with my friend making it. We made a, vi- we made a video and we were like, this is going to hit a million views. We were shouting and screaming. So I've still got these videos of us saying, this is going to hit a million views. So when we uploaded that initial version, and it didn't. It didn't. It only got like my twenty thousand views. I had to remove it because it kept on clashing with the with the with the, with the current version. Mm-hmm. But when but when it was like we had, well, so it was so crazy because it's kind of like we preempted a year earlier that that content was gonna hit a million views. But it was just weird. So when I uploaded it, and it just started picking up, it just started picking up. Then I went in for my second meeting about what's it called? About why? Okay, they're gonna fire me now. So I was doing the research and I'd seen the lawyer. And they're gonna fire me. And the video was just picking up by the time when I went into the meeting. The video had like it was already like, it was almost like a million views. By the end of the week, it was like two point five million views. Like it just kept on growing.
1: <laughs> I could just see, imagine your your smile and your face getting bigger and bigger, like as you're about to get your notice.
2: <laughs> I wanted to I wanted to show the managers like this is what I'm on. I don't need you guys anymore in it. You know what I mean? That's, that was, but, but it was so weird because I do remember sitting in the canteen. And this guy came up to me and said, oh, you're getting fired. And he's like, what are you going to do now? And I was like to him, oh, you know, I do the videos, isn't it? Like, check it out. So I gave him and he was like, oh, whoa, 250,000 views. Wow, like, you're really doing your thing. So that's why that moment really sticks out in my head. So um, so that literally just blew up. But people don't understand that even though that video is my most successful, like, in terms of views-wise, that's not that video did not build Sully Breaks the uh, a brand or that didn't make me into, like, it didn't it opened the door but it didn't make me like I didn't get any opportunities of that video that just gave me like a bit of cash from YouTube and people were like oh that kids video is cool it's like people like people hadn't gravitated. because videos go viral every week on YouTube you know what I mean mm-hmm. so one video never really solidifies it for you so I was really at a, at a crossroads to be honest because I had this video, I had this lump sum of maybe like two grand, and I was like, okay, I have to make this last me because I'm not getting any opportunities or I'm not doing anything. And so I had a decision, and my wife, it to my girl at the time, was like, you need to get another job, you know, because you're not really gonna, you're not really making any money. Like, You're not getting all these bookings and all that stuff, even though you have a video with five million views. Mm-hmm. So I was at another crossroads where it was kind of like, okay, do I take this 150% of the way and see where it leads me? Because now this is like the, the universe or whatever you believe in telling me that, listen this is your opportunity take it so i was just like you know what i'm just gonna grind away with this money that i have and not um and not get another job so then i grinded away and then it's when i did so that came out in december i think i will not let an exam i did america can't dream Mm. then i did that and that started getting a bit of traction but that still wasn't it and it's when i did i will not let an exam result decide my fate and i think that was in Mm. april may and that's when the rest was like kind of history where it was like yeah like, um I've I've established I've, I've, uh, the business is viable now, you know, I'm, it looks like I'm actually going to go somewhere with
1: this. Mm. It's quite funny because I've been reading a lot of like Wayne Dyer and he obviously talks a lot about um, synchronicity and it kind, yeah. of, kind of like the fact that obviously you, you are losing your job. And so it's kind of like, OK, this is the time where I have to go all in. And then suddenly, sometimes obviously it could be a bit woo-woo or the universe putting everything in your, in your path to actually say, OK, it's time now. And obviously, yeah. people, most people are kind of like waiting for that moment or trying to time when that moment happens. But often it's you, you, can't, get even, science, you can't even it? plan it.
2: You can't plan it. You can't. It happens weird. And I just feel like that's why the only thing you can really focus on is just doing what makes you feel alive. Like if you can focus on that, like even when it comes to making like art and creativity, just focusing on what makes you feel alive here, yeah? everything else will kind of cater around that because you can't you can't plan these moments. Like, you really, really can't plan these moments. Like, every kind of success I've had has never been the one that I've expected it to happen, mm-hmm. you know. It's always come from the moments. And that, so this, I mean, a lot of the emphasis in the past year, since you guys see me at the show and stuff, is kind of like just making sure that I'm making stuff that I believe in and that it's like I'm proud of and everything else will just fall into place outside of that. that, that that's that's my priority. Like, mm-hmm. obviously, I'm I'm taking, like, I'm I'm making, I'm being... Deliberate about moves that I make and stuff, but my main incentive is like, yo, just make just just be passionate about it again, you know, be passionate about what you're doing.
0: Yeah, and this is kind of gonna be similar to a question that I asked earlier, but if you hadn't have lost that job, do you think you'd be where you are now?
2: Yeah. Mm mm-hmm. that, that that one I can I can kind of I think so, yeah. Why yeah. do you think that? Because I mean, I, I, I had a very deliberate. I always, I had a very deliberate place where I wanted to see myself. Like, I, mm-hmm. I, I mean, what my wife gave me, which which was kind of like irreplaceable. She gave me focus. But once I had that focus, it was kind of like I know where I need to be. So even, I mean, w- even with jobs, I was like, if I'm in, because I, I I always pick. I was always very deliberate about picking jobs which I'm not too invested in. So Nike Town is yeah. just stacking shelves. When I got home at the end of the day, I don't need to think about it. I don't have reports to write for Monday and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. So I always said to myself any job that I took in that capacity I never wanted to be there for longer than a year, two years max. So I was so it was I was always going to leave anyway.
1: It's funny because a and lot I, of people um a lot of people like leave university and then they say I'm just going to do this job for now. Mm-hmm. And I think you did yeah. a, I think you did a video about this actually and you yeah. kind of kind of, I think you were breaking down year by year um on what it'll be like what you'll keep mm. saying. Oh yeah, that was it was a that really was good video. video. Was that, what was what oh, was that thank one called? You part-time hustlers that's the one and it was kind of breaking that mentality down because I think a lot of people initially say yeah I'm just going to do this for now and we know we were on the creative campus at our university and the amount of people who are no longer doing their creative endeavor because they said look I'm just going to get the office job for now Mm -hmm. and it kind of like sucks you in suddenly
2: yeah the office job is not easy man and that's why I I knew that if I went down that path I was like I'd rather sacrifice dignity and a bit of money and do something menial because the office job like working like when you work a job that you have to commit to it's not as easy just to like my wife's left her job now maybe like four months ago but it's not easy just to dump everything and be like i'm done Mm -hmm. with it you know
0: i i know when i um left my training um one of the key things which i was adamant on was that i was not gonna get sucked into the nine till five life and i think that was kind of that was so intentional on my part and i think that's kind of why i've managed to avoid the sort of the career that i've fallen into and i think it's so important i think for people to recognize that just because everybody else has followed that path doesn't mean that that's the path to get you where you want to be
2: that's exactly it bro that that's like the magic words of this generation you know like there's so many different ways to skin the cat nowadays. Mm. And and I think I think people, like everybody feels like you have to do it a certain way. And I can imagine people get frustrated when they f- find out, oh shit, this guy didn't do it that way. And people get angry and they're like, it's not fair. But I feel like people need to know that everyone has the opportunity. You know, you mm-hmm. don't have to do it the same way and and, you know there's no limitations you can be 50 years old or you can be like 16 years old you know you can do there's no limitations as to how you can do something now you can't just follow that one strict route the world doesn't even it is not the world doesn't even progress like that
1: Mm -hmm. it's funny though because obviously the the opportunity is so available we can see it nowadays on social media but still people kind of even in the entrepreneurial world they want the blueprint where there isn't very clear it's just to know that the opportunity is there and no one can tell you how to do it your way you're just going to have to Go with it and, like you say, commit fully to it.
2: That's exactly it. You know, I I I stopped reading a lot of entrepreneurial books as well for a while. uh, Yeah, no, I don't read them as heavily as I used to. Not as much. I read more. Like I go back to reading a lot more of my fantasy and all these random books I like. But I balance it out now because, like you said as well, in the entrepreneurial world, you can also get caught up in the idea that there's a blueprint. You know, and I'm like, you know, I'm I'm a creative, and I feel like the 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 environment would dictate the path, but you can't get. There is no blueprint to anything, you know. You always hear about the unicorns, um, like, you know, like the Facebooks and the Snapchats, who are the ones that that really changed the culture, the ones who, like, disproved the blueprint, you know.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, So, actually, one of the uh, people that listens to this show, on the regs, um, (laughs) Jem asked kind of, like, what question would you ask Sully Breaks? And the question that came up was, um, about um, making money with your art and yeah. where is the line between creating art and quote-unquote selling out?
2: <laughs> you know, um, I feel like the line is very blurred because I can openly say that I've sold out at times. You know what I mean? I wouldn't say... I may, maybe it's, it's stuff you've never heard but I can openly say that I've sold out at times. But at the time, I convinced myself that Oh you know, and no, I really wanted to do this, et cetera, you know, but I think the i think selling out never comes from a monetary perspective i I, I, I feel like it never comes from a fact that it's like um oh um, they're offering me this much money to do this, wait, sorry, I'm just trying to retract my I'm trying to phrase this carefully because I, I think. <laughs> yeah because no because i mean as an artist i feel like as you have to be a business and it's very important to, to balance the both dynamics but i think mm-hmm. for me selling out came out at the point when i was looking at stuff i was doing and i'm like i'm not happy at with this you know mm-hmm. and i think that's when the point when it's not it's not so much compromising your values i mean i don't compromise my values and so that's why i thought oh i'd never sell out like you know i don't drink so when <laughs> came to me oh sorry i was, shit when a company came to me <laughs> to a cat-
1: we can bleep that if we need to <laughs>
2: yeah if you could probably yeah so when the company came to me and they were like oh can you do this I'm like no I I can't do that because like I don't drink you know so so but I didn't compromise any values but I think the the thin line does come when it's like you're doing stuff you're not proud of but you're not doing it so much for money that's what that's confusion sometimes you're doing it for attention Mm -hmm. or you're doing it for um for publicity and I think that's the point where selling out does come into it i feel like a lot of people feel like just because they're growing whatever's making them grow is what they should carry on doing Mm -hmm. and i don't think that's that's the right way you see i see with a lot of um a lot of youtubers who were just like let's let's say the most controversial thing in a title that's going to get people to watch the views Mm -hmm. you know what i mean and then at what point does it become about saying controversial titles and making quality content Mm -hmm. and i think that's where the most important um that's where you can sell out. For someone who, I mean, the, the obvious example of selling out is when you have a, a your principle, then you have values, and you go against them because the sum is sufficient. But I think the one which people often look is kind of like selling out to be more popular or selling mm-hmm. out to be more famous to create content that you don't really want to create.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's when it's when the, the art that you're creating changes to match up with um, getting results. I think that is the point at which...
2: You said it better than me. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> it. You said it better than me. That's oh, Yeah, I'm going to remember that because that's how I want to phrase it. When the art changes and the incentive is getting results, you know, Macklemore has a very good, like, intro for his album that he released recently and it's called The Unruly Mess That I've Made. And he's talking about, like, how... After the success of Thrift Shop, he's just talking for about five minutes and he says the goal was kind of like they were trying to figure out how do we make the next hit? How do we make, you know, let's not mess it up. And I feel like that's when that's another dynamic of selling out. Like like you said, where you're like, how do I get the next result? And then you completely compromise everything that you've been trying to create from the
1: start.
0: Okay, ladies and gents, we're just going to take a wee quick break.
1: Make it snappy.
0: Make it snappy. Uh, (laughs) uh, We need to thank... Our sponsor, which is the University of Northampton. Thank uh, you very much. Thank you indeed. They've been supporting us for quite a while now. Um and they really are, in terms of if you're looking for like ideas for entrepreneurial skills, setting up your business and doing it with social conscience social conscience, uh, these guys are the guys to check out. Um they're a great university. We are alumni ourselves. Yep. So we can vouch for this. Uh, they are absolutely supportive of anybody who wants to set up their own venture. So if you want to check them out, if you're thinking I'm going to get a degree but I also want to set up my own business, check them out. Northampton.ac.uk. Also, we have another giveaway for you. Not just our Sully Breaks bundle, but we have put together a free ebook for you. We just keep giving. We just, you just come to powerful nonsense. We just keep the giving never stops. <laughs> <laughs> so we know that there's a big challenge for uh, entrepreneurs sidepreneurs entrepreneurs out there getting their business off the ground and getting their side hustle off the ground when they're also trying to work the 9 to 5 and pay the bills but we have a solution our uh, ebook find the time for your side hustle I think that was it <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't so. remember the title oh my god finding time for your side hustle we'll wait, not, it's yeah. not like you wrote it Wayne I know how bad is that <laughs> finding time for your side hustle um and it's all about finding the time around your day job and your other commitments. Loads of value in there. Stuff that I use myself. Gem uses, I believe, a lot of it.
1: Never. Don't read your books. Yeah, it's
0: fine. <laughs> no, no, no offense taken. It's fine. Um, so yeah, head over there. You can get it on the homepage at powerfulfinance.com. Uh, click on the big button, enter email address and we'll ping it across to you. Great. Back to the
1: show. What I wanted to know, obviously, you said there that as soon as you, you saw that you made some money, your your videos went viral. Um, I would just love to know like, what your you said that you had to start treating it like a business. And I think a lot of people, obviously, they get to the phase where they're creating their art. And then it's kind of like people kind of put off the whole needing to think about it as a business. Like even when we made our mm-hmm. podcast, we were like, okay, we enjoyed doing this. But how do we make it viable? Like what was yeah. the kind of business questions? Because I haven't seen much about – obviously, you talk a lot about creative in art. But I'd love to get your take on – how to kind of see your art as a business and what was going through your head what questions what opportunities were you looking for to say okay um i do poetry how can i live off this
2: um i guess it was more about assessing and understanding your revenue streams and it was it was more it was more like for me it was the basis of creating like the passive income stream so i was like okay i'm making videos where do i get the most of money from from making videos oh you get money from um from um youtube revenue and then you think about and i'm like but that's not that much money so then you start to discover and you get approached by people so you get approached by youtube networks and you start to assess and you talk to them and they say and you ask them, how do you, how, do you, how do you monetize the video content? And they'll be like, oh, we have the CPMs, we can increase the CPM and we can partner you with brands. And then the next aspect was like, okay, you know, a lot of people like my ideas and my thoughts and I enjoy speaking, is there an avenue via that? And then you start finding out about speakers, bureaus, you know, because I've never had a manager, you know? So it's like, I've dabbled with a few people here and there, but I've always had to be very proactive about how I've approached stuff. And even that, even, even so to a point where I feel like, my business could be bigger, but I like the way it's growing organically. Mm-hmm. But it, it was like, oh, merchant, merchandise is something I dabbled in, which I really hate and I realize I don't really like that part of it. But it was all the different revenue streams and really assessing them. It wasn't just like, okay, I've created a video. I've got a million views. Okay, cool. Let me keep on creating videos. It was kind of like, there must, if there's this many people watching it, there must be some value in there. Mm-hmm. How do I access those value streams you know how do i access those values or even even if there's not a million people watching it people like my content what about it is the value that can be sold or can be increased in a monetary aspect you know there are people like my content it may only be one person watching it but they may be like they may own a company so i, I so companies i could be like oh i could create a video for you and then there's revenue within that aspect you know mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: and so yes yeah, the revenue really have uh, sorry go on no no
0: go on carry
2: Oh, yeah, so so it was really an assessment of, like, oh, shit, like, how do I supplement my salary? And it was, like, more than just getting, like, YouTube revenue. And then it was kind of, like... I saw that people were downloading the poems to listen to and I was like, oh, maybe if I put them on TuneCore, like people would like them. And then surprisingly, people started buying them buying, buying them as well. And that's and if I hadn't assessed that, it would have just been something that I'd let go because I was like, I don't buy poems. I will people buy poems, mm-hmm. you know? So it was, it was all the, that, 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 just take a step back and assessing all those little intangibles, really. Just make sure you're not losing out. And I still feel like there's areas we're losing out, but I feel like those will come in time. Right now, what's most important for me is just creating like quality content.
1: Mm -hmm. yeah and i think once you've got those sort of things in place especially as an artist i think that's when you can go back to creativity because i think if you're constantly in that state where you're worrying about whether you're making enough money then you stop you you stop being creative you can't find things to be inspired by because you're too panicking about having to make money which is again a problem that a lot of beginners um, face when they're starting out
2: yeah i I agree i agree man i always say to people like i was so fortunate obviously i had shitty job but i was so fortunate at the time that i had something else I was supplementing my income because if it was just me trying to make art to make money at the time, I would have made so many, like, sacrifices and concessions in order to make money off the art. And I think that's a really, like you said, it's a really bad place to be in. And I've been in that place, like, sometimes, like, uh, maybe two months out of every year, I go into business mode where I oversee the the business and try to think of different stuff. And I enjoy I enjoy business as a creative endeavor like you know like how to make money out of nothing i like that aspect but when you stay in that area too long as a creative it's not it's not the most fulfilling
0: Mm -hmm. and why do you think um, creatives kind of because i'm in the creative industries myself and one of the things that i harp on about is treating your art as a business and i kind of feel like there's a bit of resistance from the people creating the art to even think that way. Why do you think there is that sort of resistance?
2: I think it's a lot of pressure, first of all, from society, because there's a typical stigma that, oh, if you're an artist and you make money, and what's it called, um... Oh, you're selling out, you know. I mean, you can see like rock rock bands who are worth millions, but they pretend like they're still, they're still make, they're dressed like they're still making music in their basements, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because there's this stigma attached to making money. And automatically, even you'll be surprised, the perception of your audience is that, I mean, I don't live in the same place I did when I started shooting my videos. And I mean, it's only when I started showing my new place in my videos did I, did I ever, for, for the first time in my life, get a comment saying, oh, Sully sold out. And I'm like, I'm saying the same thing, but just the perception that people feel like, okay, I have like, I'm living in a different place. People's perceptions that, no, the money must be changing its content. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So there's that aspect. And I feel like another reluctance is that you're putting an additional pressure on yourself because now you have another another criteria to assess your success by, you know what I mean? And as an artist, it's kind of like, that's an additional pressure. Imagine like, being assigned to a record label, it's kind of like, you make something. I remember I used to listen to Lupe Fiasco and he, one of his biggest things was, I feel like he made an amazing album. He made a classic album, mm. but he was like, his label said, because he didn't sell as much as Taylor Swift, it's not good enough. You know, so I feel like, when you when you do start to view art as a business there's another criteria you have to assess your art by and mm-hmm. for a lot of artists that's daunting and it's it's intimidating because you're like oh shit it's not just about it being good anymore it has to sell and if it doesn't sell it means it's not good you know it's that you have to have a lot of confidence in your ability which i find artists are very sensitive people in general mm-hmm. you have to find have a lot of confidence in your ability to, to put it on that pedestal and be like okay i'm cool with it with balancing how much it sells with how much it makes but like you know so I feel like that's why a lot of artists are really reluctant just those two pressures make such a big difference I think in how you create and how you move and you can always say I mean when you don't make money with it no matter how bad your art is you can always say oh, I did it for myself I did it for the love but once you're trying to make money of it and it's not making money and it's terrible then it's kind of like you don't have an excuse anymore
1: mm. mm-hmm. yeah I guess it's sort of like a metric that people kind of tend to go to is it making money and then that's okay that's a success if it is yeah
2: yeah and it's, it's I feel like it's messed up a lot of the art industries that mentality but it's but it's, it, it is it is the common consensus you know like I hear some music which I think is trash but because it's making money the artists they get acceptance and they get they get given a blight you mm. know and I feel like so pe- so people are so wary of that and they're like you know it's, it's, it's hard
1: me and Wayne talk a lot about um, technology on this podcast and um, I know you're a big fan of technology and where it's heading in the yeah. future. Where do you think like the um, the biggest opportunity there is out there for artists and technology? Like is there something you see coming? Do you see that it's going to help artists? Well, I can already see it is, but I'd love to know where you think it's going to take it.
2: I think more so in the areas of promotion and distribution, but also currently, I mean I don't do a lot of crowdfunding and crowdsource for fun crowd um um getting money from your crowdsourcing, mm-hmm. um like Patreon and like Kickstarter and stuff like that. I think those are very, very viable means. I don't do it myself personally because I feel I feel like maybe because I feel like I'm British and being raised in England, you're kind of so like conservative about talking about money. I don't know. <laughs> but I'm just you know, I'm just not as like um a, um, inclined to those platforms but I think that's a very good way for artists to make a lot of money like sourcing money from your audience and I think it puts a lot of it's going to be the, the, it's really going to break down the boundaries between artists trying to get everyone to accept them and just getting people that like them to accept them mm-hmm. and create art the way they want so I think those that that's going to be huge and I think that's a great that those are going to be great tools for artists and I think in the space of promotion and distribution I think the the the, the opportunities are like limitless and I think it's just it's just going to be infinite you know I just think the fact that it's so accessible for artists to distribute their music on like all these platforms and when you can do it on your phone all that stuff is people don't acknowledge how much of a difference maker it is that's why you have independent artists charting on the scale that they do right now and I think as social media expands as well they're just going to make more and more avenues to be to be explored via that way so Mm
0: -hmm.
2: I mean it's a healthy time to be growing up as art is very 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 healthy I mean people worry about cd sales and that stuff but it's like those are kind of like the old ways to make money. Now there's ways to connect to your audience real time, in real life. And then there's just so many more opportunities.
1: Definitely. Um, I read a book, I was reading a book recently and there was this quote, it was saying like what they believe leadership is. And um, they sort of said it as moral authority. And then when I was coming to interview you, I was thinking that a lot of what you do, that makes you a leader in the sense that I feel that a lot of the content you put out is 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 that moral authority and i'd just love to know like how you go about finding this kind of content because i know your recent video like um i wish i had said something it's so powerful and so timely and i was just thinking like where does this where does this inspiration come from and how do you know it seems to like hit at the right moment some of your art um
2: i try to live in the moment you know and i think i think before last before the end of last year I wasn't living in the moment so much, so like it was hard for me to create a lot of stuff but i feel i think there's a very big importance like I don't like people saying i'm 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 a leader or you know i don't really i'm not I'm not trying to be a leader in any sense if people view it that way then I'm totally cool with it you know what I mean but I feel like it's very important to 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 be aware of your environment and i think more my best content and most relevant content has also been always been when I'm aware of my environment you know it's not been when I'm like flying from country to country and you know like staying in hotels and all that kind of stuff like it's more like when you're aware of what's going on around you like and and I take it back on a simple scale to when I was in Nike town like I was explaining to you the, everything I was talking about was so relevant because it was so relevant to my peers who were around me and I, I was so tuned into their environment and I think that's what made the subjects so poignant and I think that's what makes them so poignant you know because with something like Wish I Had Said Something that's what's going on around me you know what I mean that's what I'm feeling and I think if you can tune into your environment you always find a way to to um, to say something that resonates I think all over the world we share the same stories just in different contexts. And if you say something that resonates, like you said with Skepta, I feel like with grime music it tells a very authentic story of London City. Mm-hmm. And you may not be from London, but you can you can you can resonate with that understanding in your own environment. And I think that's where it comes from, just being aware of the environment and knowing what what's going on. Not you know, and and and, and tapping into that.
1: Definitely. So we're going to obviously start wrapping things up soon. And I know you've had this um, book series that you've been doing. You obviously talk, spoke about The Alchemists, and you have um, videos about books that saved my life. And me and Wayne have been doing a few like book giveaways recently. And I was just wondering, like, if, if Silly Brace could um, upload, say, maybe three to five books into every young person's head or get them to read those five books, what would those books be?
2: Oh, man, I it's like i said it has to be the alchemist you know um the alchemist definitely the thing is i acknowledge that alchemist is not the best book ever written i just know the impact it's had on my life and i feel like if you read it at a certain time it will really have that same impact so it'd be the alchemist are uh, definitely rich dad poor dad just because um just because i like the way it, it broke down in layman terms the, the way i could understand I could understand um
1: wealth generation
2: <laughs> yeah well, yeah that's it you know i mean whatever he calls it i just understand yeah. it um then it's a toss-up between 48 laws of power or the 50th law
0: mm-hmm.
2: I, think, I think it's a toss-up between those two because i really like um robert green and i think the 48 laws of power i think it's such a it's more a perceptive read in the sense that I don't know. I think it's just a very well written book. There's an mm. essence of history and an essence of like future. I just think it's, it's a good assessment of human nature. I really, really like it. Mm-hmm. And, and it makes is- you more perceptive. Huh? Yeah.
0: What I love about 48 Laws of Power is um, you can kind of read it through many different lenses. I shared it with somebody once and they were like, God, this is a really dangerous, manipulative book. <laughs> and I was like, it is if you look at it that way. But if you look at it as an empowering book. And one yeah. that that you can understand the way people work, then it becomes life changing.
2: Exactly, and and I think that's what it is. I think that's what it did for me. The, the way people work, I think it reaffirmed the idea of the like. There's there's deliberate patterns in life, and there's deliberate actions you can take to mm-hmm. create desired effects. So I think that was why that was so pivotal for me. Mm-hmm. So I think it has to be a Robert Greene in there. Um, What would, um, the the fourth book, what was one of my favourite books? Um, It'd have to be, I was going to say the manuscript found in Accra, because I just think that's a beautiful book, but not so much that book. I think it'd have to be like a a kind of like, a book that's kind of like, you know, like like a fantasy kind of like, books I enjoy reading. So it'd have to be, it wouldn't be, no, Harry Potter. It'd probably be, (laughs) no, it definitely wouldn't be Harry Potter. There's a book I read recently. There's a book I read recently that I'm in love with, but that's definitely not what I'm going to recommend. I'm proper in love. Um, I think it would be maybe The Colour Purple. I really like The Colour Purple. I think it's a well-written book and it's very like things. emotional and, you know, mm-hmm. and written by Maya Angelou. I really like The Colour Purple. And the last book would be, oh, shit, I read The Art of War as well. The Art of War is interesting, but it's very mm-hmm. thick. Um Nah, no, yeah, I'd say the colour purple. Stick to the colour purple. You know, you have to have some creativity in there. And the last book would be the zombie survival guide, definitely. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's a good mix. I like that.
2: Nah, no, yeah, I'm I'm obsessed with like zombie, like I don't even know what it's called, zombie law or whatever, but like The Walking Dead and all that kind of shit. I really, I really like reading stuff like that. It's very, very funny. But but definitely if we're gonna be like books that will change your life, I'd definitely add the manuscript Africa Manus- manuscript found in Accra, four Laws of Power, The Alchemist. Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And then Malcolm Gladwell, would I put (laughs) Outliers? Ah, It's tough, it's tough. Yeah, I'm definitely set on those four. I'm definitely set on, mainly those three I'm definitely set on, but those four. And I I recently bought Alan Sugar's book for someone I know, and I'm waiting for them to read that. So I'll read that back. And I I recently got, I've got two biographies that I want to read, which is um, Muhammad Ali and Barack Obama. So I'll look at those. The biography I really enjoyed actually is um, the one about Malcolm X's biography, which is uh-huh. which I'd recommend. That's a, actually that's what I'd recommend instead of *Color Purple* because I think
1: <laughs> this book bundle's getting bigger and bigger. <laughs>
2: oh, Yeah, shit, I'm just gonna, uh, yeah. but but a testament to Malcolm X's biography, I like the fact that he's an example of someone who's gone through every area of life, like they've gone from being extreme to being like to being like a political leader to being like a drug dealer gang. So it's a very very perceptive book on. Like where where you can come from does not dictate where you end up at
1: all.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay, we also have two other questions which we ask every guest and it would be remiss of us not to ask you, Sully. So the two questions are obviously the show is called Powerful Nonsense. So two questions are what's the most powerful piece of advice you've ever been given? And the other question is what's the biggest load of nonsense you've ever heard?
2: Oh, cool, 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 cool. Um, the most powerful piece of advice I've ever been given um, is probably... To, my dad My dad was into philosophy, and he always gave me, like, two quotes, and he was like... Um, he, he had this quote which he made me memorise. I don't know why, so it's just always kind of stuck with me. And it's, it's, it goes something like, Oh, um, the height which great men attained and kept was not reached in sudden flight... But they while their companions slept, toiled through the night. So that's kind of like um, talking about perseverance, you know, and just mm-hmm. keep on going. And then in the same vein of that one, he made he told me another quote about um, which I don't know how I, re- I read is, is, is um, what's the guy who created the lever? I think it's Archimedes, or I can't remember. Yeah, I think lever. Archimedes sounds it's, about right. Yeah, and he was something about. He said, "Give me a, a lever and a place to stand, and I'd move the world." And I've always liked that. So I've always uh, my, that made my own a brief, uh, my own like um, version of it, which was like, "Give me a microphone, a place to stand, I'd move the world." So those are probably the two quotes that I always kind of. That's probably the best advice about persevering and just like just empowering. The other one was kind of just empowering.
1: Mm-hmm. Strong answers.
2: And the biggest piece of nonsense I've ever heard is it's like it's, it's it's like an argument so I'm just trying to think what would it cap, encapsulate it encapsulate into into <laughs> like a sentence you know um it goes back to what you were saying about um about you know um the whole argument that there's no one there's no one way to do something you know I'm trying to think of a sentence that encapsulates that <laughs> maybe the biggest piece of nonsense is like I heard. I heard was this is how you do it because it's not how you do it. There's no way how to do it. You know, Mm -hmm. there's so many different ways to do it. So I I guess that would be the biggest piece of nonsense that I can testify to the society that there's only one way, right way to do something.
1: Definitely, really good. I think that's it. And obviously, the internet is just opening up all those different channels. We're seeing so many different people do things in their own ways, and I think you're a prime example of that. It's been a a massive pleasure to have you on. I've been super excited i've been excited for so long even this morning i woke up and i was already in my head having questions that i was like oh what should i ask and i was getting a bit nervous and but yeah it's been such a pleasure to actually talk to you and i really can't wait to come to your your next show as well and
2: please do man i'm gonna sign up to you guys podcast i really enjoyed this oh Oh, wicked we'd
1: love to have you back on again at some points we've got like so many more notes but obviously we're going to be respectful of your time but it's been a pleasure really honestly yeah
2: that's totally totally cool and you guys, um, how is your podcast on, the, the, um, you know, the iPhone, you can...
0: Yeah, yeah, it's on there, yeah. Yeah, if you hit oh, if you on
2: I,
1: yeah, on the podcast, yeah. iTunes, Powerful Nonsense, it'll pop up.
2: Yeah, I'm going to do that because I just finished Serial and I'm just looking for a new one to listen to. Yeah, and we really need like. No, oh,
0: I mean, I, I wouldn't mind you putting us in the same league as Serial. I'd be pretty happy. <laughs> yeah. Well, now that
1: he's been on, obviously. <laughs> obviously, obviously, yeah. Uh, and we, we are desperate for reviews. So, you know, if you've got a bit of spare time on your hands.
2: I'll <laughs> uh, definitely, man. I, I, I'll do that now even. I'm subscribing
1: as we speak. Awesome. Oh, Good stuff, man. You, man. Well, um, thank you so much. And I hope you have a, a wicked week next week. And obviously... um is there anything you'd like our audience to do for you or should we, how can we keep in um, contact with you or find out when your shows are coming up?
2: I mean, yeah, all of it's just via like my social media outlets, you know, um, Sully Breaks, S U L I B R E A K S. And outside for that, man, I just hope to see you guys at the show, you know, and, you know, if you just, when, when, when I mean, close to the time I'll get Linda to hit you guys up. Definitely, man. Maybe we could talk after that as well. Awesome, yeah, it'd be great,
1: man. and just to say a massive thanks to um, uh, Linda for sorting this out as well.
2: Yes, thank you. Oh, no problem, man. No problem. I, I, I was, I was literally telling my friend I was, I'd meet him, and then she was like, you know, you have to be at a podcast right now. So I was like, oh shit.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much. Anyway,
2: ah, <laughs> oh, no, It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure, man. Really, really a pleasure.
0: There we are. Sully breaks part two. Your full dose has been delivered. <laughs> that whole tub of ice cream has been eaten in two sittings.
1: <laughs> Sully is not an ice cream.
0: <laughs> Sorry, Sully. You're not. Maybe we should have the Sully Breaks ice cream parlour. Maybe. Maybe. With Sully Breaks is the face of the.
1: What flavour would it be?
0: Ooh. Ooh. No, that's that's a tough one let us know yeah let us know Sully if you're listening which I'm sure you are let us know if you were a flavour ice cream what flavour ice cream would you be (laughs) awesome Uh, this has been a great interview I've absolutely loved it one of my favourite one of my favourite without a doubt and we'd love to know what you thought of the episode as well so hit us up on email wayne at powerfulknotsers.com or hit Jem up on jem at powerfulknotsers.com or even speak to us on twitter and share it and quotes, all those
1: quotes that you've got from the episode or
0: yeah we think we think this episode has got so much value for everyone Um, so please share and share away and also one of the best ways you can tell us what you think is leave a review on iTunes just hit us up Um, five stars or more would be greatly appreciated yep Um, so thanks very much for listening guys thanks so much to Sully Brakes for coming on the podcast it's been great to have it him on
1: I was just going to say, Wayne, how long is the book comp going on for? Just so that we can let people know because...
0: We will close the uh, competition a week from today, I think. So that will be February 19th. We will close.
1: Cool. And that is PowerfulNonsense.com slash book to enter. Yeah.
0: Great. So hop over there, enter your email address, you'll be entered. Share the competition. You'll boost your chances of winning. And until next time, stay classy.
1: See you later.